You're listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Dr. Lisa Belial is a physician trained in family and preventative medicine, acupuncture, and public health. She offers medical care and acupuncture at Brunswick Family Medicine. Read more about her integrative approach to wellness in Maine Magazine. Here are some highlights from this week's program. Why don't I feel good or why am I feeling uncomfortable? Sometimes it's as simple as just looking at the space you spend the most time in, which is your home. My house costs me, the utilities, everything for the whole year, about $400, including heat. So I'm pretty happy with that. And it's non-toxic. As I mature and become more established and see more things, I find myself becoming more and more spare. I think it's really, really great when you can create big beauty with very little. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. This is Dr. Lisa Belayo, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 162, Healthy Homes, airing for the first time on Sunday, October 19, 2014. What makes a home healthy? Everything from clean air and environmentally friendly products to the appropriate use of space. Today, we discuss the physical aspects of healthy homes with Maine Home and Design's bright-minded home columnist, Melissa Coleman, and Jason Peacock of Maine Green Building Supply. We address the creation of happy-feeling homes with Brett Johnson of Main Street Design Co. in Portland. Join us and learn how to influence your own healthy home. Thank you for being with us today. As a family physician um, with a background in public health and preventive medicine, I've really had uh, an interest in the environment and in living healthier lives for, well, since the beginning of my career, maybe from before that time. Part of living the healthiest lives possible is to create around us an environment um, that enables us to be healthy, including the environment that we live in daily which means our homes. Today we have two individuals who can talk to us about the idea of healthy homes and how we make our homes healthy. We have Jason Peacock from the Maine Green Building Supply. After a life-threatening illness changed his life, he researched what makes humans healthy and found that our immediate environment is one of the largest contributing factors. Jason has been passionate about health and building for nearly 20 years. He has a health educator certificate and is also certified as a building scientist. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. We also have Melissa Coleman. Melissa has facilitated the Maine Home and Design's Bright-Minded Home column since 2011 and also writes for local and national publications. She gained her experience with Healthy Homes Living in one of the first LEED Platinum homes in New England. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Melissa, this for you is like literally coming home because you work with the Maine Media Collective. You've been working with Maine Home Design. But this came from a very personal place. Tell me about your your house in Freeport. Yes, well, um, when I first moved into this house, it's the first lead 
platinum home in New England. And that was in 2008. And at that time, it was um, sort of a big deal. This was something new. Um, Wright Ryan Construction and Rick Renner and a bunch of others, Revision Energy, had all combined together to try to make a house that was lead platinum. They just wanted to see if they could do it. And I was lucky to be able to live in that house. Um, and the first thing I felt moving in there was, what do I do? You know, how do I don't know anything about this. I need to learn. And so this column that I did with Maine Home Design came out of that effort to learn more about this house that I was living in. And the way that I figured out to do that was to interview people who also lived in houses and um, who were also trying to figure out this sort of brave new world of energy efficient homes in Maine. So, Jason, can you tell us what a lead platinum home means? So LEED has a criteria that they've set. It's uh, through the United States Green Building Council. And I, I believe they change it every couple of years, but I believe there's about 130 points. And if you get above, I think it's 89 or 90 or something like that, um, then you're LEED Platinum. And it's really a challenging thing to achieve. Um, so I, I think at that time, there were only probably less than 10 lead platinum houses in the country. So it was a pretty big deal at the time. I read about it in the paper and and uh, I was building my own house at the time, which was designed to lead platinum standards. But and what does lead stand for? Uh, leadership in energy and environmental design. It's uh, based on the United States Green Building Council. So, um, but I think a lot of people look at it as more of energy and not as much about the health of the house. And the way I got into building was because I was, um, I was extremely ill when I was 18 and I had to learn about our immediate environment and where we sleep at night, our you know furniture, our finishes in our houses. Uh, I kind of learned over about a period of 10 years um, which brought me to wanting to be a builder and try and build healthier houses. But uh, um, I think LEED does a good job of looking at the, the toxicity. But a lot of people, you can get a certified house, uh, like a silver or gold or certified, and not pay attention to the health of the house at all with LEED. So it's, you know, some people might focus on the energy, but not focus on the health of the house and still get LEED certified. Well, that's a really interesting point that we have um, this whole idea of green building. It might be green for the greater world, but it may not be so green for us. It may not be so healthy for our own bodies and our own children sort of walking around inside these LEED buildings. Mm -hmm. Melissa, the people that you have interviewed in Maine, um, when you started this process, I'm assuming it was much harder to find people who are working on these projects. It seems like it's kind of caught on in popularity. Absolutely. I mean, I remember the very first column I had heard about this um, Kaplan Thompson project called the Bright Built Barn, which do you remember that? Mm-hmm. And it was it was like the next step up from the house I was living in. It was net zero, which all of a sudden it opened up this whole new possibility that the home could actually, net zero means it could actually produce as much energy as it used. Um, so I heard about that and I thought, oh, you know, this is growing. This is still you know, it's just every minute things are changing and growing. And uh, so I talked to him, and then um, that led to the next thing and the next thing. And 
I never seem to run out of people doing new things, whether it's um, water treatment, which is, a, you know, we're talking about healthy homes here. So um, I would say, you know, just to kind of outline some of the things that make a home healthy are the air quality. So uh, that's a big thing with, with energy efficient homes. The water treatment, um, the, the materials used in the house, um, the, you know, I was thinking of it sort of like a person in a way, and you want to have healthy air, you want to have, you want to drink good water, good quality water, and you want to, um, you know, use, uh, wear things or, or have things around you that are made with good quality ingredients. And, um, houses don't really eat, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, all those things sort of go into feeding the house just in the same way that we try to feed ourselves healthily. Um, and so I just started asking people about the ways that they were healthy in their homes, and um, it just kept going from there. There are people that um, can be pretty healthy to start with and be pretty environmentally conscious to start with, and then they make the choice to, um, I guess, keep honing that. And then there are people like you, Jason, mm-hmm. who don't really have a choice that you get very very ill and you're kind of starting from a, a very basic level you need a to rebirth. get rebirth uh, yeah. you need to get healthy again mm-hmm. so you said this happened when you were 18 yeah so talk me through how this all transpired because i think there are more patients that i see that are mm-hmm. being impacted by their immediate environment than really realize it yeah so this was back in uh, 1989 um, I was the captain of the crew team. I was a star athlete. I had straight A's. I think I put myself under so much pressure. Um, I ate really well, um, but I lived in a brand new house, and the house had wall-to-wall carpet. Um, we lived in Florida, so it was closed up, you know, for air conditioning nine months of the year, <laughs> and. Um, all the furniture, even though it was from Scan Design, was it looked nice, but it was all particle board. And back then, um, you know, 25 years ago, um, they didn't really have conclusive information on formaldehyde and VOCs and uh, airborne toxins. And so, even though I went to eight doctors to try and find out what was wrong with me, um, I couldn't speak, I couldn't walk, I was in bed, um, I felt like I was going to die and um, my immune system basically had failed. And um, so I went down to uh, Hippocrates Health Institute in West Palm Beach, Florida, and they got me on uh, wheatgrass and raw vegetable juices and um, you know, yoga and massage and things like that that really helped me get past that you know, very challenging place in my life. And then I went out to San Francisco after that and I got a degree in holistic health. It was the only college at the time that offered a bachelor's degree in holistic health. And in one of my classes, um, the teacher was talking about um, the seven principles of longevity. And I think they were in order of importance, which I thought was fascinating. And I think the, the first one was having a purpose in life. And you know, I think, well, that makes sense. <laughs> I was thinking it was gonna be, you know, nutrition and vegetable juice and you have to have a healthy diet, right? But that was number five. Um, So number one was having a purpose in life. Um, Number two was having a sense of community. Um, And number three was your immediate environment. 
So that just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, wow, my immediate environment could have had more of an effect on me than the stress and the diet and everything else. Because I was trying to have a good diet, but the stress and my toxins in my house when I slept at night, they compromised my immune system eventually. And um, so I started to think about um, the construction industry. My dad was an architect, and I had always been around um, projects that he had designed over the years from um, you know custom design houses to condos to uh, office buildings and I I kind of noticed that I always had like this this lymphatic system swelling in my in my neck um, when I was around this new construction kind of thing so it took me about six or seven years to actually put it all together because we never really knew why I got sick we couldn't figure it out. And then so it, it kind of started to make sense. Well, my desk, my, my dresser, my headboard, my shelves were all particle board, wall-to-wall um, -wall carpet. I had vinyl blinds for the windows. Um, paint at the time, they had no idea about toxic paint. So it was just the whole house was painted with toxic paint. Mm -hmm. um, and I lived near uh, a transformer. It was right near my bedroom, like literally within... 30 or 40 feet from my bedroom, from my bed, was a big transformer. Um, so all those things, I, I don't know which one was probably the worst to affect me, but um, they kind of all accumulated in, in suppressing my immune system. So I couldn't even fight. Like I had, I think basically I had strep throat and that turned into mono and that turned into Epstein-Barr. And I've researched it since then and basically what that turns into is uh, like potentially uh, cancer of the blood. So I was on my way to really not having a good chance to come back. But thank God I found uh, vegetable juicing and wheatgrass and, you know, things that most doctors are not going to prescribe to you, but, um, but saved my life, really. Here on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. The most important thing you need to begin a personal evolution is heart. To start your journey, you have to take the first step with your eyes and your heart wide open, open to new experiences and possibilities. Without this openness, your efforts, your path toward growth and positive change will be fraught with obstacles that seem insurmountable. So if you find yourself looking forward to good things to come, open your heart and take a brave step toward the future. If you're interested in evolving your relationship with your money, get in touch with us. I'm here to help at tom at shepherdfinancialmain.com. We'll help you evolve with your money. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by Bangor Savings Bank. For over 150 years, Bangor Savings has believed in the innate ability of the people of Maine to achieve their goals and dreams. Whether it's personal finance, business banking, or wealth management assistance you're looking for, at Bangor Savings Bank, you matter more. 
For more information, visit www.bangor.com. Well, this brings up so many thoughts from for me. Yeah. You know, I've actually, as a doctor, I've actually tried to tell people, you know what, you're having your symptoms at night. You know, tell me about the environment right. of your house. Right. You know, I've had patients say, well, I just switched my floors and I just did this and I just did this yeah. with construction. And they actually have a hard time believing it. They have a hard time believing that it could be something going on that they've done um, yeah. new. And right. I think it's because when we put new things into when something is new, it's freshly painted. You know, it's like getting right. a new car. It feels They're like, excited about it. yeah, it's exciting <laughs> and it yeah. seems like it's the yeah. right thing and it's like fresh. Yeah. But what we're not realizing is that new doesn't necessarily mean better from a health standpoint. Mm-hmm. Well, so when you are interviewing people, do you have conversations about um, things that that aren't being done that's new? I mean, do people specifically stay away from getting new particle board dressers and maybe stay with um, older woodwork that's you know that's just been gently refinished or yes. things like that? Absolutely. And I just want to tell a little story. When I was a kid, I remember we moved into this place temporarily that had this new carpeting in it. And we, ever since then, we refer to it as the smelly rug apartment. But we had to leave. We could not sleep. My dad said, I cannot sleep the night in this um, in this apartment. Wow. It, it was <laughs> so evident, having just moved in um, to him, that it was not it was not agreeing with him. What and the year rest was of that? Us felt, and this was in like the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. When Carpet the, was really mm-hmm. toxic then. Yeah. It just your story just made me think of that yeah. and how um, so many of us, you know, don't even know because we're just used to it. It's it's only when you have something that happens like what mm-hmm. happened to you or you go into the place for the first time that you start to notice it. So yeah, when you build a new house, you've got all these things that are off-gassing. Um, the furniture is a big one, mattresses, beds, beds yeah. yeah. Um, the walls, the stuff that you put in the walls, um, just any number of things. Are, everything. Yeah, everything, <laughs> everything. Yeah. And so that's where this movement came from, mm-hmm. is to try to minimize that by using, um, so the things that lead advises is to use uh, local wood as much as possible Um, and that's not so much for health but because it hasn't traveled as far it doesn't take as much gas um, oil to travel and as well to use um, insulations which I'm going to have you um, talk about the details of the insulations Mm -hmm. that are better for you better for the air and then the, the like the key thing that is in most every greenhouse that I've talked to is the HRV, which is the heat regulated ventilator ventilation. And these are these come in any number of models and types, but it, it takes all the air, um, it, it sucks it through a filter and then it pushes it back out without making it cold again. So it keeps it warm. So you don't have like a noticeably discomfort where the air is coming back into the house. And um, it just takes out anything that maybe wasn't um, pure to start with. Um, can you can you give a little bit about that? Yeah, those? yeah. I think so that important. that that's what I was thinking about for today. Is that um, a healthy home is kind of an oxymoron because homes inherently have so many toxins in them. Um, even if you pay attention to all the details in construction um, and try and put non toxic things in there. Um, and then you bring your furniture and your beds and your clothes in, and everything is just uh, has toxic particles residue in it um, from pesticides, uh, manufacturing, and all kinds of things. So, um, so the way that we can kind of um, 
plan ahead in building a new house and to try and make it healthy is to put in a ventilation system, um, like Melissa was saying, uh, uh, HRV or an ERV. Um, there's a couple different options now. Um, we, we sell uh, one from Canada, we sell one from the Czech Republic, and we sell one from Germany. So um, what you're really looking at there is efficiency on watt usage and on heat recovery. So you don't want to use a lot of energy to move this air around, and you want to recover as much heat as you can. Um, but I think in using these uh, ventilation systems, you can really help um, have a healthy house. Without them, if you, if you have an old house and you're renovating it, trying to insulate it, make it more airtight, so you're not spending as much energy on heating it, um, then it's a good idea to put one in. And if you're building a new house, then absolutely, you know, it's, it's almost a number one item on the, the list of things to do for me uh, because it can kind of um, compensate for maybe, maybe you didn't get a perfect bed, you know, uh, or maybe you didn't get uh, handmade furniture from, you know, organic cotton. And, and so this uh, fresh air ventilation system just allows you to constantly have fresh air brought into the house um, so you don't have the sick building syndrome, basically. And, and I'll add that because these houses are so much tighter, the walls are a lot thicker, there's just not a lot of air moving back and forth like you might have in an old drafty farmhouse. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's important to have the air moving, whereas otherwise it might not be. Yeah, and the alternative much. is you can build a leaky house. Like I argue a lot of times with uh, contractors and homeowners, and they say, oh, no, we don't want to build too tight. We don't want one of those um, ventilation machines because they think of it as being like this mechanical lung or something. But the alternative is you build a house really leaky and inefficient and you spend three to four thousand dollars a winter to heat it or you can make it really tight spend that much money up front in making it airtight and then spend ten dollars a year on running constant ventilation so it, it to me it's a no-brainer i don't i don't really want to spend three to four thousand dollars every every heating season on heat i'd rather go to hawaii or florida or something you know <laughs> have a vacation so um, but these, these new uh, ventilation systems, they're, they're so efficient, um, they're like LED bulbs compared to like an incandescent bulb. The fans are so efficient, they use 7 watts or, or 20 watts and compared to like 100 watts or 200 watts. Um, and the, they also are helpful for people with allergies. Um, you know, my stepmother is very allergic to cats. And when we have that thing on, she didn't use fail to visit us. And now, you know, when that thing is running, I don't always have it on, but I turn it on when she gets there and she doesn't, isn't bothered by the cat at all. So yeah. that's sort of like a good example of yeah. the other ways it's helpful. I built a non-toxic house and I paid attention to all the details and it's really challenging. I think um, to me that was more important than the energy, even though I wanted to be like a passive house, net zero house. I've really kind of designed and built this house really focusing on every minutia of detail about the health of it. And it becomes really challenging. Um, I rent my house out weekly in the summer and everybody that visits, they, they always talk about how they love being there because the house just has such a great feeling, how it just feels so healthy. And then in the winter, I actually rent my house out. And it's funny, the demographic has always been um, parents with a newborn and it, it's so it's three years now three winters where I have 
these uh, new parents with a newborn, <laughs> a different family every time. And they just, it's like, it creates this great energy for the house because of that. But they just say how uh, they think it's like one of the best things they could do for their kid um, in their first six months of their life, mm -hmm. you know, being in this non-toxic, healthy house. And, um, and then they, they, they always ask me if they can buy my house, you know, and I say, it's not for sale. <laughs> and then um, they always want me to build one. And the challenge with building a small non-toxic house is that it's expensive. You know, unless you're the carpenter, unless you're actually, you know, putting every window in and putting the roof on and doing all the site work yourself, uh, a small non-toxic house is 200 to $250 a square foot or more um, to even consider building it. And so you're at $250,000 for a thousand square foot house. It's, it's just, it's almost better buying an old house trying to find an old house that's not moldy and you know filled with toxins um, because you can get maybe you can get more for your money but but then you have to spend all this energy trying to get all the toxins out <laughs> yeah I think they so. say it is it is better to build new as far as economy goes if you you know it's less expensive to yeah build new you spend less money yeah. um, on your heating bills because mm -hmm. it's energy efficient my house costs me um, the utilities, everything for the whole year, about $400, um, including heat. So I'm pretty happy with that. And it's non-toxic. Well, I feel like we could talk about this for a long time because this goes, there's so many different really interesting aspects to what you're both doing in your own way um, with regard to healthy homes. Jason, how do people find out about Main Green Building Supply and the work that you've done in this field over time? Um, well, we have a website. We've changed our name recently to uh, Performance Building Supply. And the reason is we're selling a lot of things uh, throughout the, uh, from almost from like New York, New Jersey area up into Canada, and then um, west to like Michigan and Colorado and things like that. So um, what we do is actually really unique. There aren't a lot of uh, healthy-minded building consulting energy efficient stores in the country we're, we're really rare and uh, um, so they can go to our website it's uh, performancebuildingsupply.com um, or maingreenbuildingsupply.com both of those work um, and they can call us or email us or come in and, um, so info at uh, uh, performancebuildingsupply is our general email address but I get a ton of calls all the time for people that are chemically sensitive, um, and I've kind of become known as the person to talk to. <laughs> so I, I consult with people um, throughout, uh, mostly the East Coast. I've been designing some homes for people to try and do non-toxic uh, housing. And it's really challenging because um, chemically sensitive people are the most challenging people to design and build for because they, they might not be sensitive to something, you know, one month and then the next month they develop a sensitivity to it. And uh, as a builder, it, it is nearly impossible then to, to, to build <laughs> a non-toxic house for a chemically sensitive person. So that's where that air exchange becomes so important that you just bring fresh air in constantly. And Melissa, I know that people can read your column, Bright Minded Home, in Main Home Design. And um, where can they, you also have written 
for many publications, and you also have a book that you've written, which I've read and loved. It was wonderful. I encourage people to read uh, your book, This Life is in Your Hands. It's not exactly about our discussion, but it's a but it's a great... Um, well, it's about growing up in, in a home that was the original, like, healthy, hippie home in Maine. So it, it is sort so of So there's that, some yeah, relevance that, there. that basis. How can people find out about your writing and about the work that you're doing? Well, I, I want to sort of defer that and say that all I'm doing is sort of bringing um, ideas out from other people. So I want to shout out to some people that have been really influential to me. Um, and first of all, Jason is one of them because I went into um, Maine Green Building Supply or Performance Green Building Supply. And I said, could you just explain to me how a heat pump works? And mm-hmm. it's this really complicated thing. And he made it completely easy to understand. And a lot of this stuff is complicated. And it takes someone who's kind of like, creative as well as technical to be able to explain it to people. So I really highly recommend Thank you. <laughs> Jason for that. Yeah. Um, and then also I, I just have been so impressed by the work that a lot of people in Maine are doing and, and those would include of course Kaplan Thompson and they have their Bright Build Home which is a modular um, green home which makes it more affordable for people. There's also Geologic in Belfast, Matthew Amalia who is doing the Passive House and the Net Zero Houses, really great stuff there. Um, there's Rick Renner who is the, he's the architect behind Cranberry Ridge where I lived um, and he's in Portland. Chris Briley of Bryburn is doing a lot of great projects. He His, his thing is the the pretty good house, you know, trying to make it pretty good, which I love that. Um, David Matero, Caleb Johnson, architects. Um, and then, of course, you know, Revision Energy is doing the solar. Um, Wright Ryan was, was the builder of Cranberry Ridge, and they're doing a lot of great building. Um, and, and then a lot of furniture places like Thomas Mosier, who is building just amazing furniture but using really quality ingredients and, um, or, uh, Woods, not ingredients, um, and uh, as well as like Angela Adams Furniture and Green Design Furniture. Um, so I just I feel like that's that's the important message here is to get those names out to people and have them talk to those people and ask them questions and. Um, see what they can learn. Well, I really appreciate you're both taking the time to not only come in and educate me, educate the people who are listening, but also for taking the time to um, really explore all of this yourselves. And this is clearly um, a lifetime thus far on both of your parts of work to understand what all of this means. Uh, we've been speaking with Jason Peacock from Main Green Building Supply and Melissa Coleman, who writes or facilitates the Bright-Minded Home column for Maine Home Design. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. When was the last time you took a break from what you were doing, from the work that was piled up on your desk and just looked up? I know that during the course of my days, I often forget to take a moment or two to just breathe, look up at the sky, and dream. Terrible that I have to remind myself to breathe, but when I do, I feel energized because in those moments, I'm able to let go of the daily grind and think more about what I want to accomplish, how I want my business to grow. Sometimes those are the aha moments. If we all took a few moments out each day to stop what we're doing, and dream a little about our business futures. 
Not only would we feel a great sense of calm, but we may come to realize that these dreams can, in fact, come true. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. BoothMaine.com This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. It is my great pleasure always to have friends in the studio with me, and I happen to have a large number of extremely talented and intelligent friends in a, in a variety of fields. Brett Johnson is an interior designer and the owner of Main Street Design Company based in Portland and a friend of mine for several years. Thanks so much for coming in and talking to us today. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Brett, we're going to talk about a healthy home. And by healthy, I mean healthy, aesthetically pleasing, and creating an environment that we want to live in. But first, I want to know how you decided to stay here in Maine. You grew up in Maine. You still you live in Maine. Why Maine, and how does that contribute to your sense of aesthetics and style? I was born in Maine and uh, fortunately had uh, was blessed with uh, being born into a family uh, with a father who had wanderlust and really wanted to travel and see different places. So as a small kid, we kept moving away from Maine, and then we'd experience where we were, and then we'd come back again, and then... Eventually, we came back home. And then, as I as I matured and s- sort of started coming into my own, um, I also found myself wanting to go to the big city or go to Miami or the Caribbean or do some traveling. But for some reason, just Maine always like called me home, and uh, for one reason or another, it always seemed to always be there and uh, was this amazing anchor. So I guess this time around, it's hard to say because I actually have been home in Maine for, gosh, maybe 20 years or 25 years since I last uh, went away on a, on a fact-finding mission or a, a foray of living a different life. Probably had a lot to do with the fact that I found somebody to share my life with who also wanted to be here so that was a that was a big turning point as well but Maine is really all about for me it's all about family and it's all about friends and all about a a way of life that um, I just have never really found anywhere else amazing sense of community and and um, I find it as a place extremely nurturing. So there's, it sounds like there's a, just a bit of a gestalt to Maine that has kept you centered here. Yeah, you could say that. I mean, I find it fascinating. I, I'm from Harpswell. My grandparents are from Bailey Island. I grew up on Oars Island. And coming back now and, and creating this amazing house that we have on Bailey Island... Um, and talking to other folks who have kind of had the same circumstances as I have where they've gone away and come back. There's a, 
there's almost uh, energy uh, that exists and and no one can really put their finger on whatever what it is um, uh, whether it's a life force or a magnetic pull or something and and I'm sure a lot of that has to do with the natural beauty in our surroundings um, and pr- probably a sense of knowing who your neighbors are and knowing that you'll always be taken care of but but it's a it's a really amazing pull and um, and it's it's one that I I personally choose not to uh, fight and you are able to experience Maine I know that um, you now live in we'll call them the suburbs I live there too I don't want to out your town unless you're willing to out your town but you've you're developing you have a beautiful little house with what you call the back 40 mm-hmm. nice big backyard and gardens and you've done a lot of work on your house and um, you also get to work here in Portland um, and you're it's a very kind of urban place that your office is right on Congress Street. Mm-hmm. It's your, I guess it's your showroom more. Yeah, it's a studio. The studio um, across across from Local 188. Right. So you get to you get to experience the Harpswell, go back to the family and mm-hmm. um, go back to the big house that your family actually rents out now. Mm-hmm. You get to experience the suburban back 40, you get to experience Portland, and there seems to be a bit of a flavor to each of those. There absolutely is. Um, my partner Tim and I uh, lived in Portland together in multiple places. We uh, kind of experimented with different ways to live in a couple condos, some apartments. We moved way out into the country of Dayton, Maine for a little while. Um, we found that was a little more remote than we liked. and. What we really came to was that we really wanted to find a place that we could call more or less our forever home. And we had some very clear objectives when we did that, when we were looking. Um, we sold our condo that had shared outdoor space and where your neighbors may or may not have been a little too close for comfort. Um, and. We kind of drew a big giant circle around Portland and said, you know, can we can we afford to live in Portland? Can we get what we're looking for in Portland? And and it actually turned out to be kind of a resounding no. It was um, we needed a little bit more land. Uh, we needed a little bit more elbow room, and we needed a little bit more of the privacy that that allowed. So we we fell upon. Uh, Yarmouth and we love it I mean it's I never thought of myself as living in quote unquote suburbia Um, and I imagine a lot of my friends in Yarmouth might actually hate the term suburbia but for someone who has lived in Portland for a long time it does feel a little (laughs) like that Um, but yeah we found this sweet little house um, and built in 1961 in a pretty good neighborhood and with with a lot of a yard a lot of yard and um and 
I am an interior designer by trade, but I'm finding myself more and more being called to uh, working in the garden. <laughs> That's sort of where I find my solace. So it's been a it's been a great fit. And then on occasion, I get to go to Bailey Island as well. So it sounds like wherever you are, you work with the spaces you find, whether they're inside or outside or on the water. You are able to kind of take in the context and then move with it. Absolutely. I th- I, that's always been in my nature, whether it was my childhood bedroom growing up um, or a temporary apartment in college or the corner of a apartment I shared in New York City or... or you know, any any place, it's really important for me personally, and I think um, my clients as well, to um, surround themselves with things that are meaningful to them, and really f- and and find a way to uh, p- put those things in place um, in a in a meaningful, sensible, organized way, and um, that's that's certainly what what we endeavor to do in our own home. The houses that I've been in that you have done design for, it, it seems every, everything is very mindfully placed. And there's a, a spareness and yet an elegance to the way that you create. So it's almost as if you are bringing things like light into, um, into the design so that you don't have to it doesn't have to be frou-frou. It doesn't have to be ornate. You are able to work with um, what naturally happens over the course of a day in the house itself. That's right. That's I. I almost always um, walking into a client's house have this sense of my my immediate sense is why am I here? This is a lovely home. You are lovely people, and 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 you're doing just fine and then then upon listening to people you realize that there are some things about how they've been able to kind of put their homes together that kind of bother them and so they they kind of need to get unstuck a little bit once that process is or, or once that step has been taken where you realize that there is something that I can actually do, do for them, a way that I can help them, I actually look outward to where they are um, out the windows and, and look at the light and look at what is nature around them, whether they live in, in the city of Portland and they have a more urban landscape or if they live on the ocean and that's their light and that's their color and then I find a way to kind of curate what they have and then and um, also bring things in in a mindful way um, to, to kind of almost create a comfortable backdrop for them to live their lives. Um, I think it's, I think a lot of people way over indulge and, um, and that may have more to do with our, our consumer culture than anything, but, um, they don't, they don't really know how to edit. Um, and, um, 
and remove the clutter. And that, um, by no stretch of the imagination am I a clutter-free human being. If anyone looked at my desk at work, they would know that. But, but, um, but it's something that I work really hard to do. And um, you can't live in a place like Maine and you can't work in a place like Maine and not pay attention to what's going on around you. Um, it, um, it would be... It would be a big, um, it would be a big loss of an opportunity, I think. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention, focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit www.theroomsportland.com. What are the, the ways or some of the ways in which people get stuck? When do people, I mean, obviously, if somebody moves into a new house um, or they're downsizing, these are some ways that people might need design advice, but... What are some of the other ways that you've seen that people get stuck? When do people call you? Is it during tra- other transitions in their lives? I don't. Re- I don't really know if it's other transitions in their lives. I mean, certainly we have we have things that happen that bring about a necessity for a change of environment. Whether you're staying in your current place or you're moving into another. I mean, there are all those sort of life changes, whether you're changing partners or you're, or you're um, having children or your children are leaving and going to college. And actually, there is this sort of tendency with a lot of my clients now that are becoming empty nesters. And uh, the big question of whether or not they're going to maintain their family home for their kids to come home to or as a lot of people I know are um, and work with are in that situation are they're like heck no we're gonna downsize and we're gonna we're gonna live within our our personal means um, and and the you know the kids can fit in wherever they want but they've they've done their job so and then a lot of clients I have who are older who are moving into from big ginormous homes or nicer homes whose kids are all very grown up they have grandchildren and they're actually in a place where they need to really downsize and they move into a condo and then I find there's this kind of lovely 
process with folks like that. That's actually a really good, nice process of kind of honoring the things that they have that belong to their family or things that have memories um, that they can take with them into their new space and um, and then kind of help them lighten their load so that they can live their lives in a, a more gentle, gentle way as they um, move along in their old age. I don't actually like the term old age because most old people I know aren't really old. <laughs> as, we, as we all know, as we get older, um, it's not as difficult as all that. I'm listening to this and I'm thinking about conversations that I've had with people in the real estate field and talking about how it can become very interesting to work with kind of the psychological issues surrounding finding a new home, moving to a new place, whether it's getting a new partner, leaving an old partner, um, having to deal with the grief of somebody dying um, or the child that's leaving. When you are working with people uh, and they're going through their stuff and you're curating their things with them and you're helping them declutter, are there emotional issues that arise? I think there are always emotions, and um, it's uh, and oftentimes you can tell a lot about a person um, by how emotional they are to and uh, to their things or what their ties to those things are. My partner is a psychiatrist, and he is oft to say that I do more therapy than he does. And I would say that that's probably true, although I'm not necessarily qualified to admit that. Um, I do find myself in a position um, where I have to gently counsel people and help them work their way through that process. And it's actually kind of lovely and super nice. It, 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 It seems a lot of people aren't so gentle. And um, and for me, it's more about the process um, and making sure that th- that no matter where they are today, they know that they want to get through this process, and the and that there's this real nice way of handling that where you can just kind of gently move them through the process, manage their expectations, and. Um, and within reason help them kind of navigate the the tricky stuff and um, sometimes it's a little trickier when there's a couple or their partners that don't necessarily see eye to eye on every single issue but in in general when you listen and you pay attention then you realize that um, there is a there is light at the end of the tunnel and a lot of people feel really good about that in the end. It seems as though, um, and I don't know if this is true of all interior designers, but in your case, it seems as though you have built long-lasting relationships with the people that you have worked with. I know that there was a family recently that um, lost a father, husband, son, very tragically, very suddenly, and very early. Mm-hmm. And because you were 
already part of this group, you were able to also be part of that process Mm -hmm. with them. Yeah. Is this as important to you as the design itself? That was an extreme situation in in reflecting on it after the fact. Um, I was extremely honored and continue to be honored to be part of um, part of an ongoing part of this family's life and um, and those are relationships that are extremely important to me I don't think there I don't think there has ever been a client who I've even at the very beginning of the relationship um, have ever not said this is less about this job and this task um, it's more about how how we have a relationship with each other and how I can help you going forward and that may be a six month process it might be an afternoon at my studio it might be lifelong but traditionally they last a long time and that's a really that's a really good thing and some of them are extremely good friends some of them were already good friends before um, before I had a business relationship with them Um, but I think that's every bit as uh, as important as the as the end product and the actual design process I think it's I think it's a big. As we're talking, it really strikes me that that when you're doing design, it's less about the things and it's more about the energy and it's more about, I mean, obviously you need to have colors and shapes and all of the, the things that make up a space or to accent a space or... I know I'm saying this inelegantly because I'm a, <laughs> I'm a doctor and I don't have that much background in your field, but... It really is about trying to get the energies of all of the things that you put into or take out of to work together in the same way that you're trying to get the energies to match up with the people that live in that space and the outside of that space. So it's really, it's sort of trying to have things settle in the right way. I'm not a big uh, practitioner of feng shui because I think that feng shui probably happens and probably evolved um, through mindful exploration um, by a particular culture of exactly what I strive to do as a designer but it's it's kind of an it's kind of a natural uh, place for people to go um, it to search for kind of an outline of how to make that happen um, I personally like to think that somehow I have a gift. Um, I don't know how I got the gift, whether I obtained it or it was given to me or um, whatever whatever that is. And as I get older, I get less afraid of losing it. Um, although it um, early on in my career, when I was less sure of myself, I was very petrified that I would lose it. Um, and um, because then I would have to find something else to do, and that would be kind of scary. But to get really back to the question, I think I think it 
I think it really is ultimately most important. Um, you go to kind of the shaker mentality of, um, of a way of life and you say form follows function. And I think beauty follows function as well. And, um, and as I, as I mature and, um, become, become more established and see more things, I find myself becoming more and more spare. Um, I think it's really, really great when you can create big beauty with very little and, um, and, um, it's probably not the best, uh, sales and marketing plan, but, um, <laughs> if I can, if I can keep it going and it keeps working, then, um, there'll always be, there'll always be a reward in the end. Brett, after listening to our conversation, I'm sure people will want to learn more about your business, um, Main Street Design Company based here in Portland. How can people do that? Um, they can visit our website at www.mainstreetdesign.com, and that's Main with an E, Street and Design, all spelled out. And our studio is open by appointment um, at 688 Congress Street in Portland. Um, as I like to say, at the uh, edge of the arts district <laughs> and surrounded by great restaurants. So you can come visit us and go have some yummy food somewhere. And people can also um, see your work in Maine Home and Design because I know that they are the editorial staff with Maine Home and Design, big fans of yours and the work that you do. So you've been featured multiple times over the course of the years. I have. I'm very... Uh, very blessed that um, that the magazines continue to like my work and and like to feature that and and at this point I feel like a, a nice part of the family. Well, I appreciate your coming in and talking to me about the work that you do, and um, and I'm sure that the people whose lives you have touched um, in on multiple different levels are also appreciative. So thank you. Brett for coming in today. You're welcome and thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour on Podcast, show number 162, Healthy Homes. Our guests have included Melissa Coleman, Jason Peacock, and Brett Johnson. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit doctorlisa.org. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour on Podcast is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, Sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Dr. Lisa Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter and see my daily running photos as Bountiful1 on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our Healthy Home Show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank.
The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Belial. Our assistant producer is Leanne Wiemet. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our online producer is Kelly Clinton. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is available for download free on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details.